You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Thanks for joining us. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're pleased that you're able to join for a quick pod, not quite emergency, but there's a lot of news that happened this week, and we figured what better time than to jump on and to break it down, especially including a surprise signing. Sometimes it's great when you get a surprise show like this. Other times you end up where it's not as great news. We'll get into that. We'll be very curious how the season looks, especially with this strange COVID pattern where the uh, NFL's got a lot to work out in the next few weeks. But before we talk all about that, my name is Blake Murphy on Twitter, at BlakeMurphy7, and I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast, joined as always by my fellow co-host, the venerable John Venerable, who is wrapping up his vacation on the other side of the country. Still having fun with the rest of it, John? As, yeah, as fun as I, could, as I could make it. I live on the West Coast, as do you, Blake, and um, the far back Northwest, actually. My family lives in central Illinois, and we were supposed to fly home in June, uh, when we thought things were going to cool off and uh, we booked some flights and surprise, surprise, things did not cool off. Um, it's taken a turn, so we hope everybody out there is, is staying safe and healthy. Uh, we were actually supposed to connect on the way there to in Phoenix and then Dallas on the way home. So not the best place we thought to travel with our uh, 10-month-old and our 5-year-old. So I, I packed up the car uh, on June 19th. Uh, and drove from the state of Oregon to Illinois. It took 31 hours uh, over the course of three days, but we've been here for about a month. We're going to be here for about another two weeks and then make our way back, hopefully, Blake, for some kind of football season, and that's where we'll get into this. The Cardinals um, didn't have OTAs. There was no mini camp, and so now we're anxiously awaiting the start of training camp and potentially a new addition to welcome them there, Blake, in the form of Kelvin Beecham, the former New York, I think I'm saying his name right, Kelvin Beecham, the former New York Jet left tackle. Blake, what did you think when the signing went down or the potential signing that came from uh, Arizona Sports John John Gambadaro last night? Yeah, like you said, John, it definitely felt like it was a surprise because most people have gone into this season looking at the Cardinals having their four offensive tackles on the roster, that being DJ Humphreys, who signed to an extension. The uh, the right tackle starting last year, Marcus Gilbert, was signed to a one-year deal. Uh, the team tendered uh, starting offensive tackle Justin Murray for the year and picked up Josh Jones, who many people considered a steal in the draft in the third round. Most people looked at that and said, okay, you got your four tackles, you're good to go. And the Cardinals instead are apparently at least saying about this that there's at least still some either questions or a need for depth. And uh, honestly, John, the first thing that came to mind when I saw it was, honestly, when you consider the pedigree of what Beecham has, it makes a lot of sense. He's an eight-year guy in the league. He's been a starter every year back to 2013. He doesn't have the same type of injury history that a Marcus Gilbert does. Uh, I think it's been more of a surprise to people because what it means is that the Cardinals, for some reason, are either not sold as much on Gilbert's recovery. He is 
coming off of an ACL. Maybe the idea that they were fine to go into the season with Justin Murray wasn't as accurate as we thought. We, we got, have got a little bit of that with the Josh Jones draft pick. And given that Jones is a rookie, uh, we honestly have to say it doesn't seem to me, John, that this is an indictment of Jones because the Cardinals haven't even been on the field yet to see him, to check his progress. It's only been online uh, Zoom meetings, similar to the one that we're having right now as we're recording this. It feels like at least it's a depth position. At most, it may be that the Cardinals are finding a guy who's a starting tackle because there's a lot that's unknown on the roster. And the more I went back and watched the film, the more I did have a lot of questions about if the Cardinals tackle room, especially if a DJ Humphreys goes down, was going to be able to sustain protection for Kyler Murray. This move would seem to adhere to that, even if it does feel like it's a bit out of left field. Yeah, I thought it was completely out of left field. You would think any additions that would come prior to the season would come defensively, where the team struggled so much last year, and they you know, did a nice job solidifying their offensive line over the course of the offseason. So I, I, you know, color me surprised. I, I certainly do not dislike the move, uh, assuming it doesn't lead into a potential announcement surrounding one of their two starting tackles. Um, you know, the Cardinals re up DJ Humphreys for three years, 45 million last February. And he played all 16 games last year, and they expect him to do the same. So, assuming there's nothing going on with DJ, who is, a, a, you know, he and Kyler Murray have become exceptionally close. Kingsbury's a big fan of Humphreys. I and mean, that was a big deal to get him extended. And to, for Steve Kimes' first first round pick that he's drafted to have a contract extension, I don't think they're punting on DJ Humphreys. Some people have kind of floated that out there on Twitter. I don't think that's the case. Assuming if he's healthy and ready to go, he's your left tackle in 2020. On the right side, you know, you mentioned potentially Marcus Gilbert being slow coming back from injury. Justin Murray, who I thought showed a lot of promise down the stretch of last season, entering his third NFL season this year. He's certainly a cheap option, probably doesn't have the upside of these other guys. Can you ask somebody in Kelvin Beecham to play right tackle a position he hasn't played since his rookie year in 2012. is How did you sell him to come to Arizona? That's the question I want to know. We don't know the contract, the finites of the contract. Guessing it's for a year, probably not much in terms of guarantees. You know, Would it have made more sense for Kelvin to, to sit and wait for training camp injuries? Because right now, Blake, if everybody's healthy, which we assume they are, you know, he doesn't have a starting job on this roster, and he's been a consistent starter in the league each of the past at least six, seven years. And again, he was on a bad Jets team last year with what we think is poor coaching, underachieving skilled players, bad quarterback play. He had their best pro football focus grade of 67.1, which, by the way, was higher than DJ Humphrey's score is 64.5. So take that with what you want. So I, I'm just I'm a little leery of this signing because I hope it doesn't lead to another announcement forthcoming. Again, there, there's been nothing to, to suggest otherwise, but this is also the same staff that hid the Marcus Gilbert injury well into the season. They, they teased the fact that they thought he was coming back when, in all actuality, they knew he would not be coming back. So best case scenario, and I applaud Kime for this if this is the case, is Kime is loading up on depth, specifically on the offensive line where they have struggled so much in the past. Really last year, Blake, was the first year in probably five, six years where they didn't have significant injuries up front. And it paid off uh, throughout the course of the season, leading to some great stability. The run game certainly benefited from it. So if he is just another you know, cog in the pipeline of, okay, we're going to throw quality bodies up front, we're going to start the best five, I'm all for that. Specifically from a tackle standpoint, 
you know, you mentioned Josh Jones. I think they're thinking outside of maybe Isaiah Simmons, if they get anything out of this rookie class in 2020, given the fact that there was no rookie minicamp, OTAs, you know, they were kaput. These guys you would think are going to be behind the eight ball from a from a learning developmental standpoint. I think you just say, hey, Josh, learn as much as you can. Hopefully he gets to dress on game day. Maybe he'll surprise some people. But I think a lot of us who initially thought, oh, this could be a swing tackle for this year. Maybe he could have some spot starts later in the year at right tackle. I think for the most part, it's like we're just going to redshirt Josh Jones, and, and, and I think that's the right move. I think this move probably signals that, assuming there's no injury to Humphreys or Gilbert. And then you've got guys like Justin Murray who, you know, it's not our first choice, but certainly we would feel comfortable, Blake, with him starting a game in 2020 at right tackle. Um, you know, same with Marcus Gilbert if he's healthy. You know, and then you add Kelvin in with DJ Humphreys. This is the deepest this team has ever been at tackle before the season, at least that I can remember. And so, I, you know, I commend Steve Kime, and I, I hope this leads to, you know, a, a slew of other savvy free agent signings to, to continue to bolster what we think is a potential playoff contending roster, Blake. I think what it also means is the Cardinals are not going to want to have a single injury sink this season. If you look at with at DJ Humphreys on the left side, if all that Beecham ends up being essentially is a guy who comes in and is a backup for DJ Humphreys, and let, let's not let's not forget last year in minicamp and in training camp, there were times where DJ Humphreys did have essentially veteran days off, along with the likes of a Larry Fitzgerald, a Terrell Suggs, a Marcus Gilbert. If there's concern about that knee at all, then uh, last year, as we've talked about plenty of times, John, last year was the first time Humphreys played through all 16 games. If there's concern about that, where if he goes down, you're going, okay, great, now we got to slide Justin Murray in at left tackle, where he's been a right tackle his whole career. Do we have to start a rookie in Josh Jones with Marcus Gilbert, his health? He's coming off of an ACL. We are not aware of if he's going to have to start anything on camp on the pup list because there's been no practices there's been no information Uh, we really at this point all we can say john is that we can at least commend the cardinals for essentially taking an extra step to ensure that they're not going to see their season sink because of a potential weakness at tackle and i think that's a very smart decision because as we saw last year john the Cardinals went into last year where it was like, all right, this is a strength at left tackle. They then let go of Corey Cunningham, uh, went through the year at least with um, starting with DJ Humphreys and starting with, um, I think that they had another guy like a Brett Toth and a few others who are there on the roster. Marcus Gilbert goes down at the end of a preseason game. Suddenly they're having to basically find a starting right tackle off of the scrap heap after the fourth preseason game cuts were finished. I think that that was enough of a sign for the Cardinals to want to avoid that coming into this year, especially in a year where Kyler Murray's development is going to essentially hinge on being able to uh, buy enough time, be able to have protection, or being able to have protection to escape and get outside of the pocket, extend plays, being able to make throws. Um, in that case, the other thing I would also at least bring up, and this is kind of interesting, is if we're talking about with what Humphreys got from the Cardinals um, to be able to play, and we know that he can play left tackle and right tackle, it also has me wondering if the acquisition of Josh Jones, it might be, John, that the Cardinals may see him as a potential long-term left tackle in terms of the fact that Coming out of college, he was a far better pass protector than DJ Humphreys was. He's probably been one of the higher-graded PFF left tackles. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean anything in the NFL. It's one of those things where you have to still prove yourself. But if they see the potential and the upside of protecting Kyler's blind side, knowing, hey, he can bail if he sees what's going on to his right, we just need to make sure that he doesn't get walloped from his blind side. If they see that being the case where their idea is, hey, let's sit Josh Jones for a year. We know he's going to be maybe our future long-term left tackle. 
tackle. You could then potentially switch Humphreys over to right tackle for the second year of his deal. Obviously not ideal. We've seen it before. If they think that Jones can be a long-term solution of being able to have, you know, four, three to four years under a controlled contract, getting great play out of him at the left side. If that's the case, then it makes all the sense in the world to lock up things at right tackle. Make sure that you're set so you don't have to put Jones in having to learn a whole position all from scratch. And you're not having to then start him too soon. And as we've seen, some guys, they start in a little bit too soon. They get potentially ruined for their career. That was one of the complaints that we had about uh, potentially with Josh Rosen of him starting week three before he was clearly ready. So in that regard, considering the fact that it's clearly going to be a one-year deal, probably for the veteran minimum, I think that this is a solid move for the Cardinals. The only question I think that people have, and you brought this up at least, John, in a, a great article talking about how it was a surprising move was... Could the Cardinals have used this money potentially on another position? Like one of the positions that stands out for the most part is right now at pass rush, the Cardinals essentially have opposite of Chandler Jones, Devon Kennard, who's had, I think it's like about three sacks or so in this past year. He's maybe about a three to five sack a guy. Perhaps that changes with having Chandler Jones on the opposite side. And then a rookie in Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Cassius Marsh is no longer with the team. And most of the other guys they picked up in the draft are interior defensive linemen. So that's kind of the question. Could the Cardinals then have maybe gone in and tried to spend a bit more for a pass rusher to put them over the top, or even if the season started, had enough cap space to make a trade versus doing one of these types of moves, John? Yeah, it's a good question. Before I get to that one, Blake, I did do some do a little bit digging because I, you know we have no lives and this is what we love to do. But I do want to say just with the Beecham signing, he has performed at a higher level than DJ Humphreys has ever had or done in his in his brief NFL career. Uh, I think Humphreys gets put on a pedestal by the franchise because he was a first round pick because he's one of Kimes guys. But I, I, I did a little bit of research. In 2017, our buddy Todd Bowles was named the Jets head coach. And they let Ryan Clady, you remember Ryan Clady? They let him walk. And they named Beecham their starting left tackle. He had a 72.7 grade from PFF that year in 2017. This is not a flashy player. This is a former team captain. So you know what he's thought of in the Jets locker room. I, I just I, I think there's a little bit more than that's being portrayed right now, but you you hit the nail on the head, Blake. I mean, if he can play right tackle, he's certainly an upgrade over who they have right now. And if he's if he's a backup, you know, what a luxury to have. But you know, it, it all comes down to dollars and cents with his contract. I, I'm like you, Blake, I don't think it's gonna be for very much. They didn't have much money to begin with, and it's a little unnerving right now that they haven't signed their rookie class yet. Be, be that as it may but yeah you mentioned that the gluttony of free agent pass rushers everson griffin marcus golden jadavion Clowney. you know me blake i've been on this train for the better part of three months right after the draft i said you know because they had looked and teased a lot of workouts with pass rushers for this draft class and and essentially passed on all of them and so i i thought even though you know isaiah simmons is somebody we both feel like could reach double digit sacks if you put him an outside linebacker and left him there I think there's just an opportunity to go heavy with a strength opposite Chandler Jones and really put the pressure on both the Rams and the Seahawks in your division and contend for a, a playoff spot. I, I think the addition of one of those three players, Golden, who had 10 sacks for bad Giants team last year, who's just sitting out there waiting to be picked up. Uh, Everson Griffin, of course, Arizona native, who would be a perfect addition to this locker room. And then, of course, Clowney, who's had a multitude of offers, and God only knows what he's doing at this point. Any of those three players would be a huge upgrade for them. I think Griffin probably makes the most sense at this point. 
You let him come in, skip as much camp as he wants, treat it like you did with John Abraham, treat it like you did with Dwight Freeney, bring him in on an incentive-lative deal, let him play you know, on, on passing downs, let him pin his ears back, play Kennard maybe on first and second down. I've seen Griffin play some from five technique on the defensive line you can have multiple fronts with him he's such a force he's been such a quality player for so long on so many great minnesota viking defenses it just comes down yeah you mentioned it right blake it comes down to fit and comfort and money and you know when we see the finances of this this beecham deal will it hamper them i'm gonna guess no i i I think you and i both have been covering this team long enough time after march and primarily April, early April, you know, he closes the checkbook. You don't get an opportunity to, to dive into big money. And you can see, I mean, this is this is probably going to be when it's announced by Adam Schefter or whomever, Ian Rappaport. One of the first kind of major signings that I remember having throughout the duration of the summer in terms of the NFL, outside of Cam Newton, which was so polarizing. There's so many good quality players left. So who knows, this could open the floodgates and we could see a, a slew of quality free agents become, um, you know, available and, and signed on the open market but i i'm with you blake i think that you solidify your linebacking core everson griffin opposite chandler jones and then inside you've got devondre campbell isaiah simmons and jordan hicks is your three options inside and then of course you'd let simmons float and do whatever he needs to do you are significantly better i still have questions on the defensive line but again i think he is such a presence that i think bringing him in would have the same impact that a freeney or an abraham abraham had for this defense thing that either is risky enough for you that you had to make this signing or uh, there's a possibility that it was just too good of a value to pass up usually if it is too good of a value to pass up teams will always respond by what they feel their biggest need is first uh, we see that all the time it happens even in the nfl draft the cardinals for the most part said hey we need a defensive player that we have ranked higher and when isaiah simmons fell didn't matter that the team was going into uh, the season with right tackle there were three right tackles that were still on the board who were considered at least uh if not plug-and-play guys, some of the best who were there. Cardinals went with the defender ahead of them because they needed a way to be able to make plays on the on that side of the ball and stop the tight end. They went with their biggest need before perhaps maybe saying that the value of taking one of those guys was bigger. That's just how NFL teams work. Uh, one thing that is interesting about Beecham, at least, is uh, this is something that came down from the statistics at Seth Walder. He looked at the double-team rate for left tackles across the league and then looked at pass block win rate. So essentially, you're talking about how many times that you have a double team, essentially you get tight end help, uh, versus how often you actually win your snaps. And then they've charted out, and then the best way to kind of look, look at it is how many of the guys who are there have the least amount of help and win the most amount of their pass blocks. And some of the names, at least in the high end, shouldn't be surprising. You see a guy like an Anthony Costanzo, David Bakhtiari, Ronnie Stanley, uh, Taylor Luan, uh, even a Dwayne Brown. What's interesting here is DJ Humphreys tested into kind of the high end, if not necessarily elite, he tested into the high end category in both his uh, win block percentage as well as the fact that he only had probably about 30% of the time, which was on the lower end of getting help. And for anyone who watched the Cardinals last year, you got to see most of the help went on the right hand side with Max Williams and his great blocking to help with uh, the likes of Justin Murray. One of the other higher performers in that regard also was Kelvin Beecham. He had a higher pass block win rate than DJ Humphreys did, but he did have more help at least, I think it was 36% of the time versus 30 
all that really means is that when you're looking at it from the left tackle perspective, the Cardinals may essentially have multiple valuable tackles on their offensive line. And that is something that is a plus for this team. They haven't had what it also indicates, though, John, is and maybe we'll see what happens when camp open ups or other things that there still may be enough risk that the Cardinals have that we may end up finding out a bit more. Maybe Marcus Gilbert is not ready to go and the team is not quite as high on Justin Murray as they would have thought. And they see him as their swing tackle versus a starter. And that's probably my guess is the most reasonable explanation for right now as to why they would sign a Kelvin Beecham. Uh, let's go and kind of uh, move a little bit to talking about the other big news that popped up late last Friday. Uh, Michael Bidwell, Cardinals owner, was diagnosed with the coronavirus. He'd been staying on the East Coast, uh, ended up being hospitalized for a few days in Rhode Island, was eventually released from the hospital, had a statement. Uh, it wasn't quite asymptomatic. There were symptoms, but there was enough basically given from whether it was his age or from doctor recommendations to check into the hospital. Uh, we haven't found any more information out. What we're glad, at least, John, is that he is okay. And what's interesting about all of this is this is the first owner that we know of that has tested positive for COVID-19, who's had that experience. And that's going to be very interesting for how the Cardinals get back to work, if there's going to be differences from them because of personal experience or how the rest of the NFL will treat it at large. It's a great news, obviously, for Cardinals fans. We've seen... Uh, under his leadership, Michael Bidwell be able to bring the Cardinals out of kind of that pit of misery that they were in, had their winningest uh, time as a franchise underneath him. So it's good to know, first and foremost, that he's okay amidst all of the rest of this crazy pandemic going on. Yeah, the Cardinals and their fan base are very fortunate to have Michael Bidwell in the fold. I know that a lot of our senior fans, people who have been following this team for decades, you know, kind of have a bad taste in their mouth with regard to the Bidwell name. But I, I think that has more to do with the previous presidents of this franchise, Michael's father and grandfather. May they, may they rest in peace. Uh, Michael has been a super progressive player, coach-friendly owner, empowering his players and owner or and his um, general managers, his administrative staff. Um, and I, I just think that we are so fortunate to have him as an owner, getting the new stadium built bringing in quality people to run his front office, the most success by far this this dormant franchise has ever had, bringing in really smart people like Ken Wisenhunt and Steve Keim, when Steve Keim's on his game, and Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles and, you know, James Betcher. I mean, Michael Bidwell, you know, he's not a perfect owner by any means, but he is very committed to winning. If you want to see how committed or hear how committed to winning Michael Bidwell is, go listen to what Carson Palmer said about when he made the transition from Oakland and to a lesser extent Cincinnati and came to the Cardinals and meeting with Michael Bidwell and the excitement he had because it's, it's on the record. He said that Michael will do anything to win. And I think as a fan of this franchise, that's, that's all you could want and ask for. Um, and he's, I mean, you got to be frank, he didn't learn how to win from his father and his grandfather. He's having to learn how to win as an owner on the fly because this team has been so poorly run for so long. So that's why I'm always quick to defend him in the media, uh, online, Twitter, whatever. Um, I, I just, I, I feel like this team is in a good place with him in charge of this franchise. I was devastated to hear that he had been hospitalized for COVID-19, but thankfully he is doing much better. He's been released by all accounts, Blake. Um, we talk about lingering effects. Hopefully, you know, he's taking it easy. He's seen 
um, you know, his, his group of doctors, and, and hopefully it doesn't have any lasting effects like we have seen in the news for, for some unfortunate folks. But the Cardinals need Michael Bidwell um, if they're if they're going to win a Super Bowl, um, that, I believe that I think that they that he is the least of their problems when they aren't winning, um, you know, and he is incredibly patient, maybe patient to a fault, but I also believe he'll make the tough decisions like Steve Wilkes when he has to. But he also he's kept Steve Kime around through troubles and, and trepidations. He was very patient with Ken Wisenhunt and Rod Graves. This is not the Cleveland Browns where you run out, you know, different kind of leadership and coaches over the course of 12 to 18 months. And I think other coaches and GMs and front office executives know that and respect that. So, that you know, I'm, I'm happy that Michael's in a better place now and the Cardinals need him if they're going to win. Actually existed for the most part since Charles Bidwell purchased them. They've been inside of the Cardinals family. Uh, we were even starting to have conversations because we never even had considered the possibility that uh, there could be any type of ownership change for that one. And I'm fortunate, John, that we don't have to talk about all of that. Um, that's one of the things I think you can look forward to as far as that stability. But it does at least show that there's going to be you know, older coaches, there's going to be players, other people even with inside the Cardinals who are executives. There's just going to be a lot of questions, obviously, amidst the rest of COVID that's going on. Uh, and so I think it's fortunate at least to be able to be in that spot and we'll see if there's any direct changes or anything that goes different with the Cardinals as far as where they're supposed to, I believe, enter camp on the 28th of July. Uh, it's coming up in just about two weeks or so. Uh, so we'll see if there's going to be anything that ends up coming up because sometimes, you know, John, as we've talked about this before, it's very difficult for people sometimes to accept kind of what's going on unless there's, you know, a friend or a personal experience. Some of that is just the natural empathy that we have as humans. Uh, it'll be interesting whenever we have our next press conference or call with Michael Bidwell just to be able to hear any more details on that. Uh, let's go ahead and also talk about one of the other things that dropped this past week, which was Madden rating, something that usually is, as far as it goes to on the field, uh, ends up being much more perception-based than it usually ends up being in actual football base. Uh, a lot of times you'll see as far as with Madden cover athletes, it ends up being a huge thing. It's a huge video game, even for those who are not necessarily football fans. It's been a big part of it also because it's one of the few experiences where you can essentially play as yourself in a video game for a lot of players. That leads to a lot, obviously, of pride in a lot of the different different ideas, rankings, and numbers. Um, this year was very interesting. The Cardinals essentially added uh, one of the top players in Madden and DeAndre Hopkins with a 98 rating. Chandler Jones got to see a boost up into 95. Uh, it was just about a year ago, John, we were having that whole discussion about how Chandler Jones was given, I believe, an 88 or 89 as a score, and it was it was ridiculous. The next following year, he had 18 sacks and it came close. I think it was 19 total, if I remember correctly. He almost came to the 20 sack total, um, which I think is one of the things that just showed exactly how uh, oftentimes teams will get something like that so uh, wrong as far as with the different ratings and the perception. Like we've talked about, there's times where the Cardinals do get uh, the benefit of the doubt, but it's always based on players versus the team in general. What's interesting is some of the other rankings that were leaked. You saw uh, Patrick Peterson no longer ranked in the 90s. He's now at 88. Buda Baker jumped way up to 86 after his Pro Bowl season. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald's been holding steady. He had a ranking of 83. Uh, Kenyon Drake was at least an interesting bump up to around 82. And then you had the next three that were fascinating. You had Byron Murphy at 80, Isaiah Simmons at 78, and Christian Kirk at 78 as well. There's a name that's missing from that one, John, at 77. 
with the ranking. The Cardinals quarterback coming off of an Offensive Rookie of the Year award was Kyler Murray. And to me, this is interesting because some of the rankings that Murray was given as far as compared, in some cases he was 30th on like short and intermediate accuracy. Uh, we even had Johnny Kinsley on last week to talk about how good Kyler's deep accuracy was. Uh, Kyler didn't even come up as a top 15 quarterback in the league. He was top 21. And to me, John, that showed there still seems to be a lot of doubt, particularly when even though you know Madden guys will say, hey, it's ranked based on where they're at positionally, don't worry about it. But we see a Josh Jacobs get the benefit of the doubt with an 88 score and Kyler Murray get ranked kind of along with this year's rookie crop of quarterbacks. It says that for some reason they're still doubting Kyler Murray. And he, even on his Twitter account, um, tweeted out and said that he was not really impressed, at least, with the rankings for him this year. What is it that he's going to have to do to get some of that national respect and some of that perception to what he's accomplishing here in the desert, John? Well, keep in mind, I'm hearing a lot of these ratings in real time. Blake had, had gotten a lot of these. I only saw a handful of Blake. I did see the Murray rating of 77. Did they watch Byron Murphy play last year? I love Byron Murphy in 80. Uh, and then the rating offensive rookie of the year is at a 77. I think it's a – listen, you look at the top four to five quarterbacks that are ranked in Madden, I think that are are very consistent with how you would probably rank – quarterbacks that you were going to take to start a franchise Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson Lamar Jackson and then there's this kind of like grandfathered in group of like Drew Brees Brady Rodgers and Matt Ryan and then it's the next tier it's the guys who kind of came in the league together with Prescott and Wentz and then Watts is in there it's all over the place I, I, I think it's sure it's disrespectful but I think at the end of the day you know, you could feel disrespected if you're Carson Wentz at 84. You know you're a better player right now than, you know, Dak Prescott. Or if you're Deshaun Watson, you know you're a better player today than Matt Ryan. But, you know, Drew Brees is at a 93. Drew Brees can't stretch the field vertically anymore. So I just, you know, I take a lot of these with a grain of salt, but I know the players themselves take them very seriously. The The Chandler Jones thing is interesting to me. He's 95 overall, but he's still seventh among the top pass rushers in the league he's behind von miller who i think probably a lot more past his prime than jones is cleo mack did not play well last year compared to what he did the year before and, and jones was better than both of those guys last year so i don't i think a lot of this is your grandfather then and you play over a consistent level and you get you get your marks and you can hang around for a while i mean patrick peterson got an 88 you know, that's probably right where he should be. But last year, he did not play well. He had about a two or three game stretch. He played well. He was suspended. So I, I think it's just you got to pay your dues a little bit with this. And I'm sure that's frustrating because, you know, Patrick Mahomes has been in the league for three years. He's better than any other player. And it's recognized now. But uh, you look at Lamar Jackson. He's 94 because he had an MVP season. But otherwise, it's mostly like, hey, how long have you been in the league? How long have you produced at a high level? That's what we're going to go off of. So I saw a list today. Minka Fitzpatrick, who had seven interceptions last year, was not ranked in the top 10 safeties. So it just, there are a lot of gripes to be had. But that Byron Murphy one at 80 is really surprising. But hey, if it, maybe they know something we don't fact that they're not deserving it like for example as far as deep ball accuracy Drew Brees is still in the top three for deep ball accuracy now I don't know if people watched Saints games last year but Drew Brees on multiple times they would actually have two quarterbacks in the backfield and bring in and bring in Taysom Hill to get a deep pass in because his arm as far as being able to hit these consistent 25 to 40 yard passes is it's not there anymore 
And he's still given that benefit of the doubt. So like you said, John, it's almost like you have to earn a lot of that as far as perception that's given. What's tough for me, John, is the earned versus unearned. When Kyler came in, a lot of the people like said, hey, we gave him a 73. People thought that was too low. They said, hey, look, we're, we still think at least there's kind of some areas, some issues we're not sure of that. He only started for one year. When it comes down to it, essentially you kind of read between the lines and thought, okay, they think that he's probably too small and is going to get hurt and isn't there. And he went on to have a top 12 season in the NFL a few Look at his stats. It was pretty much identical to what Tom Brady put up, except he had 500 rushing yards. Joe Burrow's coming into the league as a rookie this year. He has a score of 76. Kyler's is at 77. So you're telling me that you're going to give Joe Burrow the benefit of the doubt. And most of the rankings, if you look at for each of those areas, they have Kyler essentially as a running quarterback. He's like top five in speed or being able to throw on the run. But he's still very, very lowly ranked as a passer, despite showing last year in a lot of different ways this idea of Kyler as a running quarterback. And we've talked even about this in the past, John. There's usually until a player has an MVP type caliber season, usually they will not get the benefit of the doubt, unfortunately, if they're, you know, more more likely either sh- too short, like Kyler was, or like Johnny Football was, or even Russell Wilson was, or a lot of times it can sometimes be because a lot of times you'll see a Joe Burrow and he fits your prototypical, you know, this uh, idea of this tall white pocket passer mold and a uh, shorter African-American athletic quarterback like Kyler Murray doesn't. And I, I say that as a guy who loves Joe Burrow and thought that he should have been the number one pick. Um, It just goes to show, I think, John, that there's a lot that goes into it. And like we've talked about, the Cardinals are not going to probably get respect on a national level until they've earned it. And even in this case, DeAndre Hopkins had to essentially earn that 98 rating from being able to play on the Texans. And Chandler Jones had to earn his 90, uh, was it like 95 rating from getting 18 sacks. And I think that's the thing that we're hoping that the Cardinals can start to change some of their perception in the national media And that does ultimately start with their quarterback. And if he does have the type of season that we're hoping that he could have, um, my guess, John, is that we're going to look back on this and be able to say, yeah, these Madden guys had no clue what they were talking about. Yeah, I I do think that something to be said about winning on a national stage, and I I do think that that has hurt Chandler Jones, not only in things like Madden, but for a potential Hall Hall of Fame candidacy. Cardinals just haven't been good enough during his time with the team. They've never been over 500. And that hurts him. The, the the visibility of the casual fan is what makes a lot of this go. Um, and so the more they, the team secures victories on Sundays, the more that their players are going to be thought of higher. They're going to be thought of, you know, with the casual fan base and the national media. So it shouldn't be like that. It should just be completely objective. But unfortunately, that's what's going on. About six and a half million per year in guaranteed money uh, ties him to the Titans. This is interesting, John, because the Titans had Henry on a franchise tag deal. The Cardinals have had a transition tag on Kenyon Drake, which is the one year eight million dollars. So uh, essentially, he did sign the tag. It meant that he could, you know, work with other teams. It wasn't exclusive. The Cardinals are going to be making a similar case with Drake. He did not come to a deal before the deadline. It was not anticipated. The Cardinals are reportedly a long way off. This, to me, John, is going to be very interesting to see how Steve Keim handles and treats because a lot of people looked at that deal that Henry signed and said, hey, this is great. Like, considering how many free agents there are in the 2021 uh, offseason, plus a really, really strong, we say this, it seems like every year, strong running back class coming up in 2021. If Steve Kime chooses to essentially tie salary cap to a guy like Kenyon Drake for the long term, uh, he's still only about 25. I think he'll be 26 by that time. 
Uh, that'll take him up to age 30, which, as we see, is obviously the drop-off point for running backs. We're starting to see some sign, John, that the drop-off point may be even earlier with guys like Todd Gurley, Devontae Freeman, even David Johnson of the Cardinals all signing deals, not even reaching the third year of their deal after two years. It's like, whoop, team just moves on from them. I would think that this may determine a lot of Steve Keim 2.0 and Cliff Kingsbury having his influence with all a running quarterback like Kyler Murray. For me, John, if Steve Kime goes out and signs Kenyon Drake to one of these types of deals, I'm probably going to at least be feeling like the Cardinals could have made better use of their money. And I say that as a guy who love what Kenyon Drake has done and has did. It's just it's a difficult part right now for the for running backs in the NFL when you talk about a Mark Ingram who's probably going to get replaced by a second-round draft pick for the Ravens in a few years, and you're able to find and manufacture running games and have those guys for, you know, $6 million total for four years. It just, to me, this deal was one where it didn't seem like it made a whole lot of sense for the Titans to do, and my hope is that the Cardinals and Steve Kime don't go down that route, even if Kenyon Drake goes off and has an incredible 1,400-yard you know, say 500-yard receiving season. I just don't think you can do that right now with this NFL running back market. Yeah, I agree, and I think I, I think Kime has learned from his past experiences with the David Johnson contract. I also think he's seen it up close. I mean, you go back, dating back to really Bruce Arians' first year and the, the progression of the running back position and just who's held that number one running back spot each and every year. It's kind of changed outside of this small stint with David Johnson every season. You talk about they signed Rashad Mendenhall, gave him a nice free agent contract. He was barely the starter throughout the duration of the year. They moved off of him. They tried to tie their wagon to Andre Ellington for a couple years. That didn't work out. Chris Johnson was brought in on a cheap deal, was extended, but that didn't work out. Then David emerged. He was given a nice extension, got hurt. That didn't work out. Drake, I think, is another cog in that pipeline. And I think, Blake, like you mentioned, it speaks to where the NFL is going. I think if you look at somebody like Kansas City, they're the model. Damian Williams was undrafted. Kareem Hunt was expendable. He was a third-round pick. I mean, there are a ton of quality backs that are going to hit the market in free agency this time next year. The Cardinals should be in no rush. I love Kenyon Drake. He hasn't done a tenth of what David or Derrick Henry has done in this league. They're just two different kind of franchises that are going different ways in route to winning, and clearly Tennessee has, has done a really nice job, so I don't want to knock their process, but it's an offense that runs through Derrick. Running backs are a complimentary piece to Kyler Murray, and we think benefit greatly from Kyler Murray's presence as a runner. That's why we saw Chase Edmonds ball out. David Johnson was producing early in the season. It wasn't great, but he was getting open. He was having opportunities. And then, of course, Kenyon Drake burst onto the scene. I, th- I think you and I are very confident in saying that that any running back with quality skill sets, young or old, could come in and produce in this offense. They were linked to many, many backs throughout the draft. They liked Zach Moss. They, they could have taken a back, had one fallen to them. I, I think Kenyon Drake is year to year. Now, if he wants to sign a team-friendly contract and be around for 2021 as well, I'm sure they'd be open to that. But certainly in terms of guaranteed dollars, with the, with the cap potentially staying as is or going down next year, looking at bolstering probably your interior offensive line next year where there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, the defensive line still needs help. The secondary is always going to be an issue with the lack of corner depth. You just don't have money to, to you know, put a lot of resources into the running back position when also if chase Edmonds proves anything this year you've got him under contract next year you could just draft another back or you'd sign one in free agency so i i, I wouldn't be in a big hurry blake i think that they're going to slow play this and i think you know listen drake's going to be the guy this year i think they're going to run him ragged 
good for him. I hope he gets a, a nice contract from somebody else next offseason if that's the case, and the Cardinals will benefit in the form of a comp pick. But I think their days of paying backs big money is over. With some of these other upper echelon teams that are able to see consistent uh, competitive running games. Again, the Cardinals were second in run DVOA, and I think they were at least a top four team as far as for run blocking as well. That to me says a lot because it means that even though the Cardinals are not necessarily uh, been known for their offensive line. I think that you're able to see, hopefully, that um, they're a team that's going to be able to still produce without having to necessarily pay it back the big numbers. That's all, at least for us. We'll have at least more information. The team is supposed to be opening up with training camp, uh, and at least whether it's in the next week or two. We're hoping to have weekly podcasts for you guys moving forward as well. There's also going to be article content continuing on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, John, you can let the listeners know where they can find your content and your latest article as well on Kelvin Beecham. Yeah, that's it, revengeofthebirds.com. We're, of course, here on the ROTB podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Johnny Touchdown. We're going to be churning up our content as it comes to us, guys. We're itching at the bit to be able to give you what you want. Uh, weekly podcast on the team. Hopefully things go off. Blake, without a hitch, where can they find your content? Spotify. Uh, places like Stitcher and iHeartRadio or any place that you're looking for for your podcast for the most part, we're going to be there. Um, Thank you guys again so much for tuning in and listening. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We'll hopefully have some more information and see what goes on with more around the NFL coming up in the weeks to follow. Take care, everyone. Good stuff, Blake.